Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to do it by reviewing and looking at Ecclesiastes. When I told somebody I was doing uh, a study on Ecclesiastes, and they sarcastically, at least by their tone, (laughs) said, oh, that sounds exciting. (laughs) But uh, Ecclesiastes is a little bit hard to understand, uh, it's it's very poetically translated. It is somewhat uniquely written. Nobody seems to know who wrote it. And uh, that was one of the reasons why the early church debated as to whether even to include it in the biblical text. And when I say the early church, I'm talking about mostly Eusebius and, and some of the people surrounding Eusebius. That wasn't that early of a church that was compiling what we know today as the Bible. That was under the authority of Constantine. And, of course, Constantine was starting his own church, sitting on his own golden throne, enlisting all the known bishops at the time, supposedly about 1,200 known bishops at least, were not just invited, but were told to come to his little gathering there. And only about 319 showed up, which is hardly a quorum. And uh, they weren't even 300 left there by the end of the uh, gathering because they realized that Constantine didn't really get it. His mother may have had more of an idea of what Christianity was than he did, but he certainly was not what I would call a convert. And all those people who got baptized by his order in Milan, uh, for example, he called them all to be baptized, all the citizens of Milan to be baptized. He did not require that they entirely repent, just that they get baptized. And of course, if we record their actions, which we have put up in articles on Ambrose and Constantine at Preparing You, you can see that what he was doing was not what the apostles were doing. That was quite a bit different. And eventually we'll go into a deeper and deeper study. We've already started some of that material uh, as to what this new church was doing that was not like the old church. And the reason I mention it here is because Ecclesiastes addresses this. But it does it in a very encryptive way. Uh, we've looked at chapters 1 through 4, but now in chapter 5 it begins talking about the sacrifice of fools. And uh, again, later on in other subsequent chapters, chapter 7, uh, we're going to see the way of the fool and the way of wisdom, and that they are different. And if you understand what he's talking about in the, the way of fools and the way of wisdom... And and what he's talking about when uh, he talks about uh, the true wisdom gives life. And then later on he talks about a woman uh, that seems to have some sort of uh, power to snare people and to uh, bring them into bondage. So how does this woman bring people... Uh, 
into the bondage of a snare. Well, if you look, and it actually says a snare and a net. And, and use the, 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 the bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. Her heart is actually snares and nets. And her hands as bands. They bind the people into bondage. And we'll see that in chapter 7. Of course, we're in chapter 5, so we want to get ahead of ourselves. But the point is, this is all, all connected. All the prophets are connected. So I could see reading something as cryptically written, and we've talked about why the Bible is so cryptic, why are there so, sim- so many uh, allegories and symbols and metaphors. Well, partly because of the language of the Hebrew. But that may be in the language of the Hebrew for another reason too. Is so that if, if you tell people the absolute truth, it's like seeing the face of God. Uh, you can't handle the truth. And so you will want to cancel anybody who is actually speaking the truth. So they have to speak it a little bit cryptically. Or you will just crucify them right off the bat. <laughs> yes, this is this is the way of the liberal is the way of the destruction. Now, not not the true meaning of the word liberal, but what it's become as this this uh, woke desire for guaranteed wage and guaranteed income and a covetous desire to take away from your neighbor because all your neighbors are richer than you, so you want to take away from your neighbor. Of course. That is the snare in the net. That is the way to destruction. That is the hands that bind you. Is the fact that you desire to be better off at the expense of others. Somehow or other, you're going to be better off because other people have less. It gets so extreme that people will actually simply want to see other people fail. Even if they don't get anything out of it, they just want to see you fail. <laughs> it is the absolute in, uh, antithesis of the character of God. Because God wants to see you succeed. He wants to see you prosper. He wants to see you fruitful. And in order for you to be fruitful, Moses came up with an idea of the first fruits, a portion of the first fruits of everything you produce goes to God. He has to send it to God. So how do you send it to God again? We've we've gone over this time and time again. Unfortunately, all the other ministers out there or people claiming to be ministers out there don't really explain it in the depth that we try to take you to. But he had this first fruits. They've got to go to God. And what do you do? Do you take it to the middle of the church and you throw it up in the air? Whatever God can catch, he can keep? <laughs> no. Do, do, do you burn it up so the smoke that goes up in the air uh, goes up and God breathes it in? So God gets it by the smoke that he breathes in and he says that's a sweet savor because you burned it all up? No, that's silly. That's ridiculous. But people have accepted a lot of ridiculous things, especially over the last couple of years. And, and you know, like, you know, can a man be a woman? Can a woman be a man? Uh, and, and you look at some of these things that they're saying and... Because I'm an old guy and I'm from the old school. I say, like, that is so crazy. Nobody will believe that. If I told you 
20 years ago, what would be in the news today? If I, if I could get in a time machine and go back 20 years, 40 years, and I would try to tell people what was coming in the future about what people would think, they would think I was crazy. I mean, there, there was nothing I could, you know, in, in the Back to the Future movie, they have the, the thing that says, okay, uh, uh, future boy, who's, uh, who's the president in, in, in the year that he was supposedly from? And he says, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and he said, well, that was so ridiculous. He knew he couldn't be from the future. He says, you know, who's the head of the treasury? Jack Benny? Uh, no. So, yeah, going back in the past to try to convince people what people are going to think in the future is not going to win you any prizes because they're going to say, that's crazy. Nobody would be that stupid. But yet, here we are in the future of yesterday and people are very, very confused about what the truth is. And why are they? Well, it's something that we've seen uh, Ecclesiastes talking about. They live in darkness. You know, if you live in darkness, you can't see clearly. Because it's dark. And why do you live in darkness? Because you're wicked. You don't want to think you're wicked. You want to think you're good. You pay a lot of money to church to make you think you're good. I mean, that's why people go to church to get something out of it. So that, you know, I went to church and boy, I feel really good about myself because I went to church. And now there's an interesting thing. I was talking to somebody last night about, you know, how, how people can get in a self-destruct mode. They have a trauma in their life. And in that trauma, uh, bad things happen. You know, hardships happen. And they happen because of somebody did something to them or around them or caused something to happen. And, and they were a part to blame. But they don't want to take the responsibility for what they did. They just want to look at what the bad guy did. Because there was a bad guy involved with their trauma. They weren't doing everything right, but there was a bad guy too. And so they don't want to look at what they didn't do right. They just want to look at the bad guy. And then it's encased in this uh, mRNA capsule <laughs> of uh, of membrane where their trauma's in there but they don't want to look at that and his trauma, his bad thing is in there and they will look at that. Well, when they think about it, that gives them some relief from having to look at their own but they actually, the dog returns to his vomit and the pig to his mire. So they will actually try to recreate the situation where they're again entangled with somebody who's a bad guy and going to do them dirty. You know, some narcissist is going to cheat on them or betray them or, or, uh, abandon them, do something bad to them. And they will try to get involved with that narcissist so that they can blame the new narcissist for the anguish that they feel. Now the solution is simply to see their part in the original trauma. And, and, and 
<laughs> I said it three times, forgive that bad guy. Now, nobody wants to do that forgiving part, but actually occasionally people do, but that forgiving part is what frees you from the trauma or the effects of the trauma that we feel. We we feel this trauma in order to be relieved from the effect, which is where all our depression comes from, our anxiety comes from. A lot of our health problems come from that. But anyway, somebody has a bad experience, say a woman has a bad experience with a guy who is a jerk. She didn't see it because he's a narcissistic jerk and he, he played to her vanity. And of course, that's where Ecclesiastes starts is vanity. <laughs> and that vanity, vanity is vanities and all is vanity. Well, of course, that's emptiness. You know, having the praise of a narcissist is pretty empty. But if people want to believe that praise, it sets them up to believe the other things. Like, I would never cheat on you. <laughs> well, yeah, you will. He will cheat on you. You don't hear that because you want to hear the vanity of vanities, the praise, the the adoration. The, you're beautiful. You're so wonderful. And, you know, all this stuff. And he appeals to your pride. And, and he gives you power. You know, of course, that's what the serpent did in the garden. He, he said to the woman that you'll get power. If you eat of this tree of knowledge, if you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, this manipulative knowledge that you can use. But the death, the woman, remember what we were saying in Ecclesiastes 7, when we get to that, whose heart is snares and nets. She's going to create this net. And of course, it's, they're not talking about a specific woman. All these patterns, the truth, you know, you'll see there's a, there's an old video out that where they show somebody on a, laying on the grass or something, you know, in a scene and then the camera pans up and the person gets farther and farther away and you see the whole field and then you see the, the woods and the rivers and the cities and, and it goes back and then eventually you see the planet and it goes back and, and it goes back farther and you see the other planets and the sun and the solar system and and then, you know, you you see the whole galaxy and it keeps going back and then all of a sudden you're like seeing what looks like an atom and it goes back and then you're back to the same person again laying on the grass. That the patterns of the universe are repeated over and over again from the smallest atom or quark or whatever, the smallest, and, and to, the, to the galaxy and to the galaxy of galaxies. That those that truth and pattern is repeated in those things and of course we only see what our senses take in so we those things are really symbols of a spiritual pattern that brings everything into existence which the closer you get to looking at nature the more you will see the the symbols because in nature we see the symbols of those patterns of the spirit but we we only see the spirit when we see in spirit. 
And we can only see in spirit if we resolve the trauma of sin. And we can only resolve the trauma of sin if we forgive. And we don't play God. Because that's the, that was the big temptation. To be like God. So we decide with our own knowledge what is good and evil. So to get rid of the trauma, we have to forgive. And then we have to test whether or not we truly forgave by giving. And there's a lot of talk in Ecclesiastes about giving. And there's a lot of talk about what we think will fill us, which is only vanity, which is only emptiness. So back to the to the woman who had the trauma, returning to the trauma by looking for another man who is a narcissist or trying to turn her own husband into a narcissist. You know, of course, now if he is a narcissist, she doesn't have to do that. But eventually, narcissistic relationships self-destruct. Or they, you know, or, or one of the spouses ends up dying in a domestic dispute. And then they go off and they repeat the error, returning to the vomit and the mire. The only, this is what Ecclesiastes is trying to tell you. All those remedies are vanity. They're empty. They're not going to fill you. But there is something that can fill you. And it seems to be a paradox. Because if you want life more abundant, you have to lay down your life for somebody else. Now, hopefully, you don't lay it down for a narcissist. (laughs) If you lay your life down for a narcissist, he just becomes more narcissistic. You want to lay your life down in a way that strengthens people, that helps them come face to face with, whether it's narcissism or, you know, I mean, the victim of a narcissist is a part of the problem. Because they make themselves a victim, which is what we see in the new liberal uh, agenda. Maybe I shouldn't use the word liberal, but the the new woke agenda is that you want to be a victim. You want to be a victim. You want to be a victim. The more you are a victim, the higher you are. But what you're doing is creating a narcissistic tyrant who will destroy you. And, And it begins with the idea that it's okay to make your neighbor a victim. If you, if you think it's okay to live at the expense of your neighbor, neighbor and depend for your livelihood on the property of your neighbor, then you have made your neighbor a victim and you will become a victim. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. And so as you become the victim, there will be over here on the other side of the equation somebody rising to be the narcissistic tyrant and and they will rule over you and, and they will provide you all the victimhood you want <laughs> until you cry out oh I don't want to be that much of a victim but when you cry out God of the universe will not hear you and that's what they say in Samuel 8 that's what they say over and over again They we have our article on hearing God will not hear you. And so, how do you get so God will hear you? Is you have to hear the cries of your brother. Like Reuben says, the reason we're going into bondage 
is because we would not hear the anguish cries of our brother when we threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. So that that's the whole, what we're seeing today, you know, is that we don't hear the cry of our brothers. You know, like all the, the people who want reparations for blacks. They actually want to nail the coffin shut on the black family because reparations will do that. Because that's the wrong approach. That's the reverse of what you should do if you want to have a free society. Now, if you're having trouble following some of this, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to more and more of it as we go along. But uh, what I wanted to share with you is that Ecclesiastes is not different than all the other books of the Bible. It is really very much the same as what we saw when we were doing the Minor Prophets and what we saw when we did Exodus and and what a lot of people don't see. They don't see the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. And they talk in... Ecclesiastes about the song of the fool. Well, the song of the fool is not the song of the lamb. The song of the fool is the thought, is the song of, you know, victimhood and covetousness and pride and vanity. These, these are the songs of the fool and the sacrifice of fools. And of course, Jesus talks about the sacrifice of fools. He uses different vocabulary. But once we begin to understand the ideas and the concepts, but you're not going to understand the ideas and the concepts of what we're sharing with you if you continue to live in darkness. So why don't you live in light? Because to live in light, you have to look at yourself. You have to see your part in the problems of today. It's easy to see the problems that are created by others to some degree. There's always there's a variety of problems out there. There's a variety of bad guys out there. But you have to see your part in that. And if you're not willing to see your part in that, you will not see the light. If the light came in the room, you'd turn away from it. You would look away. And and that's how you drive out demons, is you bring the light. And the the apostles tried to drive out demons that, that were manifesting themselves as some sort of what we would call a mental illness. And it's not always possession, but it's influence. There's a spiritual... There's a lot of talk in Ecclesiastes about spirit. You know, the spirit of things. And, of course, that's what they're talking about when they talk about the bitter than the death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. They're talking about a spiritual concept there. In order to see that, you have to be willing to see yourself. And that is where freedom comes. That is where liberty comes. And all else is vanities of vanities. But anyway, we'll talk about this more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom and we'll get right into chapter 5. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I'm going to read the first line of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
verse 1. And then I'm going to do a little bit of a review so you know what was in the other chapters. Because this first line is, it says a lot. And what we talked about in the first half hour of the show is kind of setting the scene so that we wanted to relate it to actually things in your own life. All of us have had traumas. All of us have had difficulties. All of us have what we think is our enemy. But uh, we're supposed to love our enemy. And that's not just because we want to be nice to people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of our salvation is to learn to love our enemy. But you have to love them with the love of Christ that could drive out demons. Because you want to drive out the demons of your enemy. You just don't want to kill your enemy. Now, your enemy may choose to kill himself because he's not going to see the obvious truth. Like all those soldiers that followed Pharaoh to kill the Israelites. The Israelites didn't have to kill them. They killed themselves. They jumped into a pit of danger with ill intent. Now, God... God was there shining his light out for everybody. They couldn't see God's light. They had accepted the Pharaoh as their God. And they weren't going to admit that the Pharaoh was not a God. And so when the Pharaoh said, charge your chariots down there, out there on that sandy bar, ten miles of water to cross, they did it. They, they you know, Some of them were probably hesitant and everything, but they did it. They killed themselves because that water wasn't going to stay apart forever. The, the, the Israelites were almost completely on the other side and these guys started taking off. Well, they could see that's pretty miraculous that there was this dry land that you could run all the way across, but it's pretty dangerous too. It just appeared. It could just disappear, but they went anyway. They killed themselves. They knew that it was dangerous, but they killed themselves. God didn't kill them. God, God was put that sand there so that the Israelites could travel across. He didn't do it so that the the Egyptians could go across and kill the Israelites. That would be kind of counterproductive. It was obvious that this was a very dangerous thing to do. And pretty quick, they realized that the sand was going away and the water was coming in. And they turned around and they took the wheels off their chariots. I mean, when we see it in the movie Ten Commandments, there's this wall of water that goes up real high, great special effects and everything. It's probably not what it looked like. It's what Hollywood thinks. But, I mean, are we really going to go by Hollywood? (laughs) Anyway, but the water did come in. There was a boundary of water. On the sandbars. And then the water came in and the sand turned to mud. Enough so that they had time to, while this was happening, to take the wheels off their chairs. Now, they're, to be honest, their wheels could come off real easy. You just pull a pin and pull the hub off and you could put another wheel on really quick. But they were taking the wheels off so that they could dray their, their chariots and the horses could pull them because the wheels were bogging down in the silt of the mud as the water was coming in. And they had enough time to do that. But they didn't make it. And you can still go down to the bottom of the water and you can see wheels down there. Encrusted in coral. <laughs> now how could that be? The Those wheels were made out of wood, weren't they? 
how would wood be encrusted with coral? You can actually see a wheel encrusted with coral. Because they, there was metal in their wheels as well. Anyway. Back to verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Watch where you step. You know, I have, I have a relative that has to go down to San Francisco. And they, and they have to make this trip, long story, but they posted it to me on a little family group. And, uh, I posted back, watch where you step. <laughs> because the, the streets are supposedly got human feces everywhere and all that stuff. But the truth is that when it says, keep thy foot, be careful where you put your foot when you go to the house of God. Now, again, we talked about in the first part of the show, the first fruits are supposed to go to the house of God. Does that mean they in, in burn offerings go to the house of God and then you burn them up? Those that have been listening for a long time know, but those who haven't, there's nothing in the Bible about setting up piles of rocks putting sheep on top of them and setting those sheep on fire. Nothing in the Bible tells you to do that. There's a metaphor of those symbols, but those altars from the altars of Abraham and the altars of Jehovah Nisi, these are systems of social welfare. That's what they are. They're systems of social welfare. You And the stones, that's men who you give your offering to. And they fit together without regulating one another, without hewing those stones. That that you don't touch them with force of a chisel. They, but they fit together. They come into an accord with one another. So you give to Peter, you give to Paul, you give to James, you give to... And they are this altar of stones. And... They take what you give them and it's like burn up to you but then they redistribute it and take care of the needy of society which is why Moses built the Jehovah Nisi altar the Yahweh Nisi altar we'll call it Yahweh Nisi he says why do they call it Nisi nobody seems to know but of course the goddess of welfare in Sumer was called Nisi and other forms of that same word Nisi uh, Nissan, uh, Nazi, all these words were talking about a socialist system of welfare. The turtle dove, goddess, a woman, a goddess, who receives the wealth of the people and redistributes it to the needy of society. And this is how they bound the city-states together. I mean, even the New York Times knows that. But they don't understand, what they don't understand in the New York Times is that if you do it through force, you will empower tyrants, those narcissistic tyrants we were talking about. But if you do it through charity and love, genuine love for one another, then you will get a different result. One will snare you, I'm getting ahead of myself, we're up in chapter 7, One will snare you, 
because it's a snare in a net. It's a woman who's a snare in a net. That's the system of social welfare that operates through force, legal charity. But the one that sets you free is the woman, the bride of Christ, who operates the same system of charity through charity. To real charity, not legal charity, fervent charity. Fervent charity is the antithesis of legal charity. About six times this week, I wanted to go back to our article on fervent charity and add to it because I was seeing so many different connections, uh, but I haven't got there yet. But uh, anyway, so when they're talking about going to the house of God, watch where you step. The house of God is is where we go to redistribute that wealth and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. What is the sacrifice of fools? That's legal charity. I mean, legal charity, all the stuff that the government gives you, they give you because they took away from your neighbor. They forced the sacrifice of your neighbor. And now they have stuff to give you. That's that's one of their systems. They have another system where they borrow against the future of your children by force to give you benefits today. So those are the two processes whereby you can get benefits from the house of God, small g God. Because there's the house of God, big G God, that operates by charity. And the house of God, small G God, that operates by force. Those forced offerings are the sacrifice of fools. If you go back to Saul, Saul became king. Why did he lose his kingship? He lost his kingship because he did a foolish thing, according to Samuel. He forced an offering of the people for a good cause. But he forced a sacrifice from the people because he needed to build up his armies. He needed resources to do that. He could see the the bad guys building up their armies. So he ne- thought he needed to get his army built. So he forced a sacrifice. He said, everybody has to give so that I can build up my army. Otherwise, I won't be safe. And I can't keep the people safe. But when Samuel came and found out he forced a sacrifice, he said, Ah, foolish. Foolish. Because you've done this foolish thing, your kingdom will not stand. Because those people who gave, now they gave because they were forced. I don't know if they were signing up. Of course, they the foolish thing that the people had done before that is decide to have a king. <laughs> because, you know, Samuel told them, that you want to have a king, president, prime minister, ruler, whatever. You know, have your Constantine sitting on a throne of gold and his successors, whoever became, whoever's sitting on a throne of gold today, that's the successor of Constantine. You know anybody who fits that description? Well, we won't mention any names. But, that's the wrong way. That's not, that, that's not the way. Now, the guy sitting on the golden throne, he doesn't force sacrifices. But he crowns men who force sacrifices other people. You see, all the problems that we're having today 
It's because we don't want to see the truth. We don't want to get in the light. We don't want to see the truth about ourselves. But now if we're going to look at it, everything in, in the the cosmic formation of history, we didn't start turning our back on the light in 2020. We turned our back on the light way back in 1000 A.D. And of course, we can go back to 300 A.D. We, the process, evil has been around trying to get us to live in darkness since Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil is around. It's it, it's a spiritual force. It's actually a physical force. I mean, because that spirit dwells in creatures on the earth. And when that spirit of wickedness, that spirit of selfishness, that spirit of foolishness dwells on the earth, it dwells in people, dwells in creatures that walk about on the face of the earth and throughout the world and in the world. You just don't want to be one of those creatures. You want to let the light in and it repels those creatures. It pushes them away. So, you're ready to hear when you go to the house of God. Listen. And of course, that's why we teach meditation. You go to our meditation page because that helps you learn to practice listening. Not to the the tinkling symbols that have already gotten into your heart and your mind, but to actually listen to that spiritual force, that divine spark. Then to give sacrifice to fools. Better to listen than to give sacrifice to fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Which is what we talked about. They don't want to see their part in their trauma, in their bondage, in their bands, in their iniquity. They don't want to see their part. But you have to see that part in order to be set free. So that's, that's all in that one verse. That took a long time to get to that verse. <laughs> but anyway, I said I'd go back to a summation. So anyway, I did it on the right of the, if you're in preparingyou.com at Ecclesiastes 5, uh, I put underneath the picture there. I love that picture. And I don't know who painted it. It almost looks like it was a sketch of some sort. It's in black and white. But uh, it's Jesus talking to three guys. And the interesting thing about it I was noticing during the break is that two of the guys are staring right into the eyes of Jesus. But Jesus isn't staring at them. So they feel comfortable with staring at the eyes of Jesus inquisitively, clearly inquisitively, trying to figure out what's he talking about? What's he saying? But the guy whose hand he's holding is evidently a fisherman that appears to be a fisherman's net in his lap. He's not looking into the eyes of Jesus. Because that's too much. But he's listening. Hopefully he's listening to his own heart. and That's kind of the expression on his face. And so you have to, you have to ponder this. And, and Jesus was this teacher, but what is really teaching us is that divine spark, that light, that inspiration. We can get that inspiration. That is not coming from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but coming from this divine source, this divine spark. Now, a lot of people aren't going to believe that, but I believe that, and that's what I'm telling you. Is that? But you don't have any power over that. 
What you have to do is stop listening. You have to start fasting from all those other things that are those things that are already in you and the things that are outside of you talking in your ear. Talking in your heart. Your emotions. All these things that are pulling on you. But you have to fast from that and listen to what God is trying to tell you. So chapter 1, vanity means empty. We covered that. All things are empty and remain empty. In other words, how much is zero and zero? It's still zero. How much is zero times zero? It's still zero. You, you don't increase zero. It, ten zeros is still zero. So ten times zero is zero. So, all these things, the vanity, the emptiness of emptiness is still empty. But everything is not vanity. That's not what he's saying there. Something, humility is not vanity. Humility is willing to listen to God. Not trying to fill yourself up with all these other things, riches and pleasures and booze and food. Don't keep trying to fill yourself up with all these things. Seek to fill yourself up with the Spirit of God. But you can't do that. It can be done to you. God writes upon your heart and upon your mind. If you're going out trying to learn doctrines, you're probably trying to write on your heart and your mind with your intellect that memorizes all these doctrines. Don't do that. That's all emptiness too. A wealth of information is still wealth and it's emptiness. Chapter 2. The fool walketh in darkness. Well, we covered that. People have lived in darkness now for, and, and it's getting darker and darker and darker. But that's the good news. Because it always gets darker before the dawn. And the dawn is coming. And you want to be prepared for it. And the way to prepare for it is start looking into your own heart and start listening to what God really was telling us in all this thing we call scripture. So the fool walketh in dark, Darkness, which leads to a vexation of the spirit. Vexation. There are several words, all very similar. I should put a link to the word vexation there. I will, I'm reminding myself as I do this. Because I just added to our links on the word vexation. Because there's several different words. They're given several different, several different numbers. They're all very similar, similar in their construction. Some of them have an extra tov. Some of them don't. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. But that word vexation can mean thought. It actually comes from a word that means shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He watches the sheep. He he ponders the sheep. You know, what they need. He's looking at them. They're eating out there. Do they need more of this food? Do they need more of that? Because I could take them over to the rose bushes and they can get a dose of vitamin C by eating the rose hips. You know, I have rose bushes out in uh, out in the field, and there's a place down there I could take them. We put a fence up so they can't go down there right now. If they were in the upper field, they couldn't go down to the rose hips. But if if they had their way, they'd go down too soon. <laughs> so I'll save it for when it's a good time to go. That's the shepherd. He's he's. He wants them to eat their fill, but he wants to do it in a way that strengthens. If you just give them their head, they'll all go over there and eat clover like a lot of you would do if I had, you know, 
beef on the table and lamb on the table and cheesecake on the table. A lot of you might want to eat the cheesecake first. <laughs> Don't eat the cheesecake first. But anyway, vexation of the spirit is causing the spirit will need to think. Now, if you don't want to see the light, if you want to continue to walk in, walk in darkness, that vexation will become trauma. It will come, become anxiety. But if you want to see the light, then you can receive the thought. Because God's talking to you right now, but you're not listening to Him because you, to to listen to Him would bring light in. And if you bring light in, you're going to see your part. Humility, that's why humility is not empty. Because in humility, willing to see your fault will allow you to be filled up and not empty anymore. All the, all the music, the radio and the concerts that you want to go see. I know somebody who went and got the vaccination because they wanted to go to concerts. I don't think they've been to any concerts that they might have. But you know, I, on our page, numerous scientists. I just added a link. Go down and look for Peter McCullough, and I added a link because he's kind of summing up the results of everybody going to get vaccination because the studies are now coming in and what that means. Now there are solutions for those of you who have got it. Ninety-two percent of Americans got at least one vaccination. That's the, the statistics. That means that if you didn't, you're in the top 8% of people not (laughs) following over the edge of the cliff. But now, everybody who got it, there's a lot of, he talks about it, and you can go listen, it's about 50 minutes long. But it's numerous scientists, look for Peter McCullough. And uh, there's a link there where he testifies. Evidently, there were numerous batches, and different batches had different results. But, of course, all that was kept in secret. The FDA was not even allowed to go in and monitor. I mean, the meat you eat is more inspected than the vaccinations you injected into your body. <laughs> so, anyway, I don't want to get off the topic, but we were sharing with people from the very beginning what was going on. And you can go back and see all our articles on that. But now we're trying to share with you what was going on that led you up to that state. Which, you know, now we talked about in 1066, what took place then. We can go back to 300, uh, to the Council of Milan, what happened then. We can go back to, we'll go back to all the way to, you know, Ecclesiastes is supposedly written according to some in 800 BC. He saw it. It's the same. All the way through, all the way back to Adam and Eve, same problem. We want to think we can figure it out for ourselves. That's pride. Humility is when you admit you can't figure it out for, by yourself. It has to be written on your heart and in your mind. So, shall a soul enjoy good in his labor or another man that hath not labored therein? This was, this was a wise man or a fool. The fool ends up another man enjoys his labor. And his labor is taken away from him. That's the bondage of Egypt. A portion of your labor is taken away from you. And you still have to sacrifice, but that's the sacrifice of fools. But how did you get there? And and according to Reuben, they went into bondage. 
because they wouldn't hear the cries of their brother. Which brings us to the solution. You need to hear the cries of your brother. Which is why Moses created the altars of Nisi, the, the Jehovah Nisi altars. There was a battle. There were injuries. There were deaths. Uh, there were widows now. They were going to need aid and help for those people who participated in the battle and those people who survived. And so he created the altar of Nisi, which is the altar like the altar of Nisi. But he says before he does this, the key difference here between the turtle dove altar of Nisi, the legal charity, and the Jehovah altar of Nisi, fervent charity, is that it is by voluntary charity. If you want to solve all the problems of the world today, all the problems, you know, vaccinations, forced vaccinations, economic shutdown, all the things that are coming, all the things that are past, all the disease, everything, you have to move from the idea that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare to the idea that, no, I'm not going to covet my neighbor's goods through the minimum exercise authority. I'm going to take care of one another through faith, open charity. And you cannot do that. I, I cannot see any way to do that unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and do so with the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of sacrifice. How do you get more? By giving, by sacrifice. You lay down your life so that you can pick up your life more abundant. But everybody has accepted the idea that if I want lots of benefits, I have to take away from my neighbor and I have to create a government powerful enough to take away from my neighbor so that I can have more free stuff. Guaranteed wages, guaranteed income. But that's the reverse of the message of Ecclesiastes, the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end. But we'll have to talk more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're in Ecclesiastes 5. We were going through a review of the first three chapters because I want to bring these all together. And of course, it's taking me longer to get through this chapter than I was thinking, but that's okay because it's very important that you understand that none of these books in the Bible are isolated books. They are all a part of a whole message. And so you're going to see that repetition of that message in every single book. And if if you read any book of the Bible and you do not see this message in there or elements of this message in that book, you probably don't understand what you just read. <laughs> so I know people who read through the whole Bible every year, but they don't get it. Uh, but there's something about that repeating that and it creates a feeling and an emotion and everything and I'm perfectly willing to wait until they do get it but you do not want to waste time because the foolish virgins wasted time and then they found themselves on the outside of the door knocking and trying to get in but the master would not let them in so you need to see the light you need to start seeing the light now and you need to start walking Keep thy foot in a careful place when thou goest to the house of God. And a lot of people think that they're going to the house of God and they're actually going to a strong delusion. 
that says that it's okay to go to men who exercise authority one over the other to get your daily bread. When the early church clearly did not partake of the daily bread of the Roman welfare state. They had their own daily bread, which is what you see Paul and others, Timothy and them, distributing all over the Roman Empire. Now, that, of course, we don't see lots of reports locally. Uh, we can read Justin the Martyr. He says every week we get together and those that have share with those that don't have enough. And he's explaining this to the emperor of Rome. Because they had their own system. They had their own system because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Like Christ commanded his disciples make the people do. And if they hadn't done that, Paul would not have known where to go in Galatia. He would not have known where to go in Corinth. He would have not known where to go in Ephesus. They had to create this network or they would not have made it through the dearths of that time. Absolutely essential. But we'll talk more about that this afternoon, maybe. In chapter 3, we talk about the wickedness was there and iniquity. It's been here since the beginning. Men have been trying to decide for themselves what is good and evil and do their own thing. That's why Cain went off and created his own city-state. He's the one who did that. And in that city-state, they set up a system of legal charity. And Cain was the ruler of it. And, and to one degree or another. And, and you can do that, but it's very dangerous. And, because it will have a tendency to degenerate the people. The more they depend upon that system, the more degenerative they will become. A lot of people think that it, we started that system with Social Security in the United States. That was the beginning of excessive amounts of legal charity in the United States. And, of course, it continued on after FDR. It continued on with other presidents like LBJ and his great society. So you had the New Deal and then you had the Great Deal, which was not a great deal. It made things worse and worse for people. Oh, some people got more and more comfortable, but the families begin to break down. We can see that because we know they targeted the black communities, and the black communities' families suffered the most because they were targeted the most. Not because they're black, it's because they were targeted. Their families were stronger than most people's families back in 1900. After slavery, just 40 years after slavery, the black family was a stronger unit. There were less single parents amongst the black community than almost any other community in America. But that's reversed now. Now it's, it, the black family is broken down. It's all the result of legal charity. Abortion is so high amongst the black community. Why is that? didn't used to be, but it is now. Well, they targeted black communities to put up their abortion clinics. They still target the black communities, but it's legal charity. Abortion is a symptom of legal charity. CRT is a symptom of legal charity. Public education breaking down is a symptom of legal charity because public schools are a product of legal charity. It's you force your neighbor to pay for your school, for your education. Paying off student loans is just expanding that equation beyond public education up into 
college education. It, of course, it's going to have more and more side effects. It's going to magnify those side effects. But you think you're going to elect a different king, a different president, a different prime minister, and everything's going to change? No. You have to see your part. You have to stop walking in darkness. Because the fool walks in darkness. You have to see that because you're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, you're in the problem that you're in. Because you haven't watched where you keep thy foot when you go to take care of the social welfare of your society. You have walked into the way of the sacrifice of fools. And you considered not that it is evil to covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other. All social welfare through the state is evil. And it will produce evil, especially for those who have to make the sacrifice of fools. Now, I'm not saying that you don't owe the tax. We'll cover that as we go through the the next couple of chapters. But if we go back to that chapter 3 review, it says that wickedness and iniquity has always been there. Every man labor belongs to himself by the endowment of God. That's what it says in chapter 3. The question is asked, what is the spirit that leads a man upward and what is the spirit that goeth downward which brings a man down into the dust? Which brings destruction. We just covered that. It's the spirit of fervent charity versus the spirit of forced charity or legal charity. One was going to lead you to destruction and to destroy liberty and the other one is going to give you life. One of them requires that you lay down your life willingly through acts of charity where you cast your bread upon the waters. You don't just, well, I helped an old lady out when I was driving down the road. No, you have to make it an actual practice of casting your bread upon the waters, not just giving to the people that you love. You cannot just give to those that you love, those that you see immediately around you. You have to give out away from you. And how do you do that if you don't create a network where everybody is keeping an eye on things? And even such networks can become corrupt. But that's what the tens, hundreds, and thousands are supposed to be. They're supposed to see, you know, keep an eye. Responsibility is the road to liberty. Accepting that responsibility. But if you want to live in darkness and think that you don't have to worry about that, then go ahead. Warning in chapter 4 is that if a man cares only for himself or chooses to oppress others, see, he's rich, but only for himself. His wealth is just for him. You know, buying, he's got to get nice cars. And, and there's nothing wrong with buying a nice car, even buying a nice boat. You've, you've provided employment for somebody, but you can also invest in a business and then apply, and you'll end up with more money. But then you can take that more money and invest in more businesses and create more jobs and more wealth for everybody else who works for you. Your wealth cannot be just for you. If it's just for you, that is the same as coveting your neighbor's goods. I mean, some people covet their neighbor's goods because they want their neighbor's goods. But some people just covet their own goods because they don't care about their neighbor. 
You have to physically invest in caring about your neighbor. You cannot foldeth your hands together, that's what it says, and ends up where he eateth his own flesh. If you don't care about others, see, rich men used to know in a community, you know, if you had, you know, somebody owned a lot of land, you lived near him, you owned some land, and he was the richest man around because he owned the most land, had the most servants, employed the most people, produced the most crops. He's a rich man. And you're, you have less, but you have enough. But he has to care about you. That rich man does. Because when the thieves and robbers come, who house is they going to go to first? They're going to go to the rich man's house. They're not going to go to the poor man's house and rob him. They're going to go to the rich man's house. So the rich man needs to know that you have his back. If he wants to know that you have his back, he has to have your back. I can give you, I'm just flashing on a hundred stories where I can show you where rich men help poor men out. And those poor men became wealthier. And they picked which poor men they were going to help because they were the men who were the most industrious and, and, and ingenious and, and were willing to put forth the most honorable effort. This is how you strengthen a community. But see, rich men today don't have to do that because you got men who exercise authority that are keeping order. I'm not for defunding the police. I'm for re-empowering the people. You should, you know, I can go down to the Forest Service to give you an example. Go down to the Forest Service down here in the, the local town south of us. And there's a building there built out of stone. And they still use it. They don't, I don't know what they use it for. I never see anybody going in and out, but maybe they just store stuff in it. But that used to be the entire Forest Service. It, it ran all the, all the force all around us. All, all of all over the mountains, they handle all the sales, all just in that one little tiny stone building. When there was a fire, all the all the ranchers came out with their own equipment, their own shovels, their own uh, firefighting equipment, and they put the fire out together. They worked together to put the fire out. The government came along and says, "Oh, we'll put the fire out for you." Now they have a hundred cars in their parking lot. Building after building after building after building. They provide all kinds of employment, all at tax expense. And they can't seem to get a fire out. <laughs> and I could give you a hundred stories on that because I've been out there. What we've done now in this valley, in this, in this whole county, is we created a rural range land fire department. Voluntary. Not on the tax rolls. And we have put out hundreds and hundreds of fires. And, and, but we've taken back that responsibility. And we get, we get, they actually get disappointed when we show up first. <laughs> cause they're not gonna get any overtime cause this fire is going out. <laughs> you could be doing that. But you have to organize. And we got organized. You need to get organized. So anyway. Now we're in chapter 5, and I have a little summary of that too, but it starts off with the idea of sacrifice of fools. So we're going to go start reading right off here. Again, now you'll have a better understanding, hopefully, of this first verse. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, to the system of social welfare that you create for yourselves. 
and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. So hear my warning. If you go the way of legal charity, you go the way of dust. For they consider not that they do evil by forcing the contributions of their neighbor. By electing a king who can take away from those he thinks fit to give to those he thinks fit. You empower him and power brings corruption. Verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. What's he talking about? I talk all the time. Well, when there's people here. (laughs) But uh, that's not what he's talking about. Let's read on to verse 3 and see if we can get a hint. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Still doesn't quite answer it, but it will answer it in the next few verses. But uh, actually, we'll add a link here. I'm reminding myself that where you see thy mouth, because there's a there's a lot of quotes in the Bible. Even Jesus is talking about it's what comes out of your mouth that creates the sin. What's he talking about? You know, talking dirty? No, he's talking about oaths. Swear not. Above all else, stop the taking of oaths. That's what he's talking about. Like, rash with your mouth. It's giving consent. You know, sinners entice thee. Don't give consent. So, in verse 4, we see, because it's part of that, that, that first part there. When thou vowest a vow unto God. Now, that could be a big G God. They write it as a big G God. But that could be a small G God. Defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. In, in other words, don't defer to pay it. Don't don't choose not to pay it. Because he hath no pleasure in fools. And, and this is the same as when Jesus said, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Because Caesar was the son of God at that time. He was called the son of God. He was addressed as the son of God. And why? Because he was the head of the house of God which is what took care of the social welfare of the people of Rome, which was the Temple of Jupiter. At that particular time, the Temple in Jerusalem took care of the welfare of Jews. But Herod didn't just build the Temple of Jerusalem, he also built the Temple of Roma, which took care of the welfare of people who wanted to be a part of the Temple of Roma rather than the Temple of the Jews, which is the temple in Jerusalem. But they're all systems of religion. And religion, of course, was how you took care of the needy of your society. And you either did it by the sacrifice of fools, which is legal charity, or you did it by fervent charity, voluntary offerings. Those are the only two religions in the world. All the other stuff is smokescreen. You're either doing it by charity and love for one another, or legal charity which is by force. And if you're doing it by force, somewhere you took a vow to the gods of that system. And and you may still have to pay the gods of that system, just like they had to pay their tally of bricks in Egypt. 
But better is it that thou should not vow. And that's where we can go. And, and I put it, I did put a link in there. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the pro, pro, all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So this is why you have to be careful what you say, what you consent to. We see in Proverbs one ten, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And, and how do you consent? You take an oath. You, or an affirmation. doesn't matter. You, you raise your right hand and you say, I'm going to do that. Or you sign something under penalty of perjury. You know, like I, I'm signing up for Social Security. You know, and, and now I, I'm going to have to pay in. But hopefully I'll get something back. Because all you can do is hope because if you look up our page at Preparing You on Social Security, the rules are clear. No guarantee. They can they can keep taxing you. You know, 1%, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. They can keep taxing you. But they don't have to give you anything. That's in the rules. You didn't read that? They didn't read you that on CNN when they were explaining it? <laughs> I don't know what station you would be listening to. It's probably on radio. when they. But it's been in there from the beginning. They don't have to pay you a thing. But you still have to pay in. Because... What Social Security is, it's the Corbin of the Pharisees. You have to pay in. It's legal charity. It's, it's not a social insurance. The guy who devised the system wrote a book. You've all read that book, I'm sure. Well, I did. At least one of us did. But we write about it. We quote that book. And the books that we offer you for free. If you want to walk in the light, if you, if you want to stay walking in the darkness, you don't have to download the books for free and read them. But if you want to walk in the light, you signed up for the Corbin of the Pharisees, which makes the word of God to none effect, which leads to the dust that Ecclesiastes is talking about. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Proverbs 6, 2. Well, Proverbs is before Ecclesiastes. So if you're reading the Bible all the way through, you're reading what... You know, that you're snared by these oaths. You've already read Proverbs 1.10. You've read Proverbs 6.2. And it's pretty clear where you're at with that. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that should vow and not pay. That's 5.5. Five, and then, of course, you can read on to 5.6. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not swear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy oath. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. This is Jesus Neither shall thou swear by the head, because thou canst shake. You know, he's telling you over and over again. Matthew five thirty three says this, basically the same thing when he talks in Matthew fifteen, and this correlates more to what we just saw in Ecclesiastes. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, 
and they defiled the man. So anyway, we can see that this this idea of you know what comes out of your mouth, not taking this vow, is very much a part of this Ecclesiastes, at least in chapter five. Because he goes on to say, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel, and it, which is messenger, and it was an error. Therefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands. People say, you know, the people go around and say, I don't see the contract. Well, I wrote a whole book to show you the contract. Go read the book, Covenants of the Gods. Which is why I pointed out that that word God up there could be big G God, could be small G God. It's the same word. And and when it tells you not to make covenants with gods, this it's the same word there too. You know, small G. They just they just tr- translate it because that's their interpretation, which is fine. You can look at it either way, but it's very clear. You're not to be taking oaths, not taking vows, and you should not be taking oaths or swearing that you will be a part of a system that forces the sacrifice of your neighbor, because that's the absolute opposite of what the Song of Moses was and the Song of the Lamb. Who said you weren't to exercise authority one over the other? You're not to be like those governments who force the offerings of the people, but you are, and it's right there in black and white. And all your churches are not telling you. You need to start taking care of all the social welfare, like the early church, or you're going to end up in dust. That's where you're going. That's where you're headed. Destruction. If you want to go up, you want to get into the light. You want to get your head above water, so to speak. You know, all the Egyptians who were coming after the Israelites were, when long they were all trying to get their head above water, but it's hard to swim with armor on. The thing they thought would save them brought them down to the bottom of the sea. So it says that neither say, uh, let's see, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? We're seeing that destruction already taking place and there's a lot more to come. For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. That's what we're seeing every day in the news. More and more diverse vanities. More and more dreams, delusions, strong delusions. Full of words and don't want you full of words. They want to shut you up. But all this is coming about, these are all symptoms coming about because you've gone whoring after the turtle dove goddesses that offer you legal charity instead of sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and practicing pure charity, fervent charity. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth and there be higher than they. This this statement is like Moses telling the Israelites who want to go and prepare for battle against the Egyptians, bring back your young men. But they were bringing their men back 
to a community that was already organizing themselves to take care of I mean, all the way down the wadi, they were helping each other. All the way back in, during the plagues, they were helping each other. They were learning to hear the cries of one another, to take care of one another. And the only reason God was there is because they had already started this. You need to start this. Not just on a local level, but on a national level. The more you start it, the more prepared you will be for what's coming down the road. The less you do it, the less you will be prepared. Verse 9. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Is that by the beast of the field? By the field? By what's there? Love not silver. Shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. But we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. So come right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in verse 9 we see moreover the prophet of the earth. Now it says prophet there. That that word is unique to Ecclesiastes. It shows up uh, three times I think in Ecclesiastes. But it actually is uh, a word that means advantage. Uh, Yithron is the actual Hebrew word. But in Ecclesiastes it, it's... It's got all kinds of extra letters, you know. Uh, you know, two, uh, there's appears to be two bobs, a rash, uh, a tov, which is uh, the letter of faith, a yod, the divine spark, and another nun at the end. And so, it, like I say, it appears in this verse. It will appear again in seven twelve and in ten ten. Uh, but uh, it's not always translated the same. <laughs> But but it has to do with uh, it really has to do with if you go back to uh, uh, Samuel eight and he tells you what you'll get with the king who will take and take and take and take and then you go to Deuteronomy seventeen and he tells you what to write in your constitution so that the king doesn't end up bringing you back into the bondage of Egypt. It's very clear that the power that he's given is to be limited. For the profit of everybody, which is really contained in the context of the original part of this statement where it says, moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. And the king himself is served by the field. And even that word field there, that only, that form of the word field only appears in Ecclesiastes in this one verse. And what they're talking about, because you remember, you know, Adam and Eve, or, or Cain and Abel had a conversation in the field. It's not always just like a field. I mean, we have a field out here we call the heath field, which just means the open field. And it's an open area that's grass and brush, etc. But this word field means more than that. Just like all the words in Hebrew have a specific meaning like field, but it also means in a broader sense like the inhabited places. It's like where you conduct your affairs and how you're conducting your affairs. It's your uh, a word that we see translated in the New Testament. It'd be like the word conversation. Now, when I say conversation, you're thinking 
you know, we you say something, I say something, and we're having a conversation. But the word conversation, you can look it up, conversation at preparing you. And we explain that the word that when Paul uses conversation, he's talking about public affairs. He's talking about how you interact and relate to one another. And uh, that's that's what they're talking about. The way in which he interacts and relates to the people is to be the prophet for all. Not just for himself. He's not to accumulate horses. That He's not to accumulate wives. All symbolic. Of not actually, he's not actually talking about a lot of women, although that would be if you see your your leader carousing with a lot of different women, he's probably doing the other thing that it's really talking about. That would be a symptom. That's why it's related ideas. Verse ten: He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, which is what I just said. It's not about the women. It's not about the horses. The horses are a standing army. That's what it represents. The women uh, represents this uh, taxation of the the people, you know, for legal charity. See, like when they create a Social Security, that's where you also establish income tax for wages and salaries. Income tax before that was only for fiduciaries of corporations after Social Security Wages and salaries could be taxed now, a portion of your wages and salaries. And we've gone through all that. But we're going to clip along here so we get farther into Ecclesiastes 5. Verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Now, remember why we did that review is it was saying that it was dangerous if the rich only got rich for themselves. They they need to want to share their wealth. And of course, when they start a business, they're sharing their wealth. They're able to start a business, buy a building, Put machinery in it, hire people, pay them. That all is a, because he's wealthy. If you didn't have him wealthy, all those jobs would not have been created. Now, he's going to get more wealthy if the business is successful. If it fails, he's going to lose all that. But the reality is, if he gets more wealthy, hopefully he will do the same. If he treats his help right, if he treats the employees right, everybody will prosper. And that is... Now, if everybody's not prospering, chances are the laborers are not doing what they need to be doing. If they were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, depending for their social welfare on charity, they would have a lot more power than the unions. And they would, and they could keep their unions from becoming, their churches from becoming corrupt. But if their own hearts are corrupt and they desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor, then their churches will be corrupt because their churches will say, that's okay as long as you tie it to me and we'll get a band in here. We'll really make you feel good by the end of the day and you can keep coveting your neighbor's goods. That's okay with us. Even though Christ said it's not okay. Moses said it's not okay. God said it's not okay. The modern church says, that's okay as long as you do it through government. Not so. Figure it out. Uh, verse 13. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept by the owners 
thereof to their hurt. So we saw that earlier. Now it's repeated again here in verse 13. That, that word hurt there, it's, normally it's not translated hurt. Normally it's translated evil. 444 times evil, 59 times wicked, 25 times wicked, uh, 20 times hurt. But it is the word. It is the word for evil. So, therefore, to their evil, if the owner keeps his riches just for himself. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hands. This is no different than when Jesus was saying, do not treasure up stuff for yourself. You know, the, the, his parable about the guy who builds a big barn and treasuring up stuff for himself. You have to do it for the welfare of others. You have to be loving others in your choices. It has to be about them, not about you. If it's all about you, all is vanity. You will end up empty because you're not laying down your life for others. You're not laying down your wealth for others. So that, that principle, you just, you're born naked, you're going to return naked. And I have a great link to put in there too. I'll, I'll probably put a footnote to that. And this also is sore evil. That in all the points as he came, so shall he go. And with profit hath he hath labored for the wind. Remember how they were talking about this wind, grasping at the wind when we were doing Ecclesiastes in the earlier part. This is, you're laboring for the wind. You're going to end up with nothing if you do not share, if you do not give, if you do not lay down your life. You're not going to have life more abundant. You're going to have life less. All this day also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Because he's he's consuming in darkness. He's not seeing that I need to share. I need to give life to others. If I'm coming in the name of God, if I'm coming in the name of Christ, I'm going to come sacrificing and giving up my life to others. That is the key to the kingdom of heaven, which is what this program is all about. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh unto the Son all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. There again, God is a capitalist. He's telling you that that is the portion of God to you is what you produce. But now what are you going to do with what you produce? Is it just for you? Are you just going to be selfish? If you do, you cut yourself off from God because God is not selfish. God is a grantor of life. He's a grantor of choice. He's a grantor of all these benefits. We see all, all this glorious universe that we see around us. He has produced it to share it. So if you produce, you need to produce to share. But you need to share in a way that God would share. That strength and support. Because God will cut you off. Not to punish you. But to awaken you. So that you're not woke but awakened.
For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You need to have the joy of Christ in your heart and attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And the only way you practically can do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create not the bands of that that woman that is a snare and a net, that's what you have already done. You've created those bands by contracts, by covenants, by by taking the benefit, you receive the advantage and now you receive the duty that goes along with it. But by taking on the duty of caring for your neighbor in pure religion through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, then you will receive the bonds of Christ, bonded to Christ and with those who are bonded with Christ. And your congregations shall develop their natural filtering. Those who will not walk in the light will walk away from you. Maybe they'll come back. We hope and pray they come back. But if they don't want to see the light that is growing in your congregation, in your congregation of congregations, then... You know, that light grows and those who want to walk in darkness will no longer be comfortable there. And just like the guy in the picture on the page, three guys, two of them could stare right into Jesus' eyes because he wasn't staring at them. But the guy he was staring at had to kind of look away and ponder his own weakness, his own failing, his own contribution to his trauma. And in seeing that, Jesus, I always tell my ministers, our job is to take people by the hand and walk them into their own personal health, into facing their trauma. And that's what we see in the picture, is that Jesus is taking him by the hand and explaining to him his part in the iniquity of the world. Not, not to say that the world is not iniquitous and wicked and there are wicked men out there. They certainly are. And they are there for our benefit because they give us plenty of, there's plenty of them out there to forgive. But we have to see our part of their wickedness. Whether our part of their wickedness is that we're narcissists too, like them, or we're a victim. See, being the victim empowers the narcissist. And if you want to play the victim, that they, they want you to play the victim so that the narcissist can get more and more power. And that they will, they will throw out their idle words of sympathy. Oh, poor, poor victim. All these, you, once you begin to see this in the spirit, and you see these people doing these things on the news, they're kneeling down and they're, uh, the, the, the white fragility and all those kinds of nonsense. You you just see it. You also see the zombies. You see you, you see the vampires sucking on the life of the other people. You know a lot of vampires on the pulpit and uh, vain vampires in the pulpit <laughs> sucking the life out of the people while they know that the government is a ravening wolf, a beast. That's going about devouring who it will. This, this takes you, the mark of the beast is a spiritual mark. 
But it will manifest itself. And it is manifesting itself as we speak. You know, I have links there on the page to Mark of the Beast. Uh, when we see the Mark of the Beast is the number of those who vow to give the sacrifice of fools going back to the bondage of Egypt in doing so, where a portion of your labor now belongs to the government, you know you have returned to the mire and to the vomit. And if you seek those benefits, those wages of unrighteousness, then you become an oppressor too. And you create this endless cycle, this sorcery of deception. Which is very easy because everybody wants to live in darkness because nobody wants to see their part in creating the wickedness and evil of the world. Because we, we were enticed by sinners and we sat and we consented. Yeah, okay, let's covet our neighbor's goods through the social security system, through the public schools. Let's force our neighbor to contribute to what we want. Let's not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and become responsible practitioners of pure religion, unspotted by the constitutional order and system of governments of the world, because that's what that word world there means when it says unspotted by the world. It means by those those men who exercise authority. We're not going to be spotted by them anymore. We're not going to go that way anymore. We can actually take a quick peek at 6. Because 6 is a very short chapter. It's only 12 lines long. I don't know if we can get the 12 lines as long as it's taken me to get to those other 20. But it begins with, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. He This under the sun phrase, that's some sort of idiom. He keeps repeating that. It's unique to Ecclesiastes. And I think that it, he's talking about under the sun is here in this physical realm. But the sun is also representative of of the spiritual realm. I mean, there would be no life on this planet if it wasn't for the sun. So when he's saying under the sun, he's it's kind of like the word Jerusalem. Jerusalem means double peace in spirit and truth. So when he says there's an evil, there's a physical representation of the evil and a spiritual representation of the evil. And the physical representation of the evil is a symptom of the spiritual choice. And so that's that's kind of what he's referring to there in my humble opinion. But he goes on and says, and it is common amongst men. So this evil, this evil that is common amongst men. And and the word there is that same word that we saw translated hurt before. But it is, but it is this evil. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul, his life, of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Again, you are given power by God, endowed 
with the right to choose. Your parents were given the right to choose. And you may be born in bondage because your parents sold you into bondage, etc., etc. But you still have a right to, to make some choices. And if you make the right choices, it will lead you back to liberty under God. If you make the wrong choices, it will lead you to the dust and destruction. But you have some choice still. No matter how much choice they take away until they've stabbed a stake in your heart, you still have some choice. If you make wise choices with the choices you have, you will, it will lead you back so that you can eat of your labor. But if your parents have got it so that somebody else can eat of your labor, if you're back in the bondage of Egypt, because that's what they're talking about here, that's an evil disease because that's not going to do you any good. Until you admit where you're at and then take power over the choices you do have. One of the amazing things in all the books that I've written, you know, Covenants of God shows you how you got into prison, how you got back into the bondage of Egypt. Um, the uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution shows you where the Constitution went wrong and where, you know, it's not... The Constitution didn't go wrong. People went wrong. But it shows you the weaknesses of the Constitution that could be used against you to get you to do wrong. And so that explains that relationship, what what should have been in the Constitution that we're missing. Uh, Higher liberty is dealing with Romans 13, which is so simple to explain, but so elusive to those people who prefer the sacrifice of fools. And the wages of unrighteousness. So, then we have that kingdom come. Which tries to show you a little bit more about how the kingdom works. How it functions. What it's been doing. It's showing you a little bit of the history of how it comes. It also gives you a hint on how it's going to go away. Which takes us back to the book Covenants of the Gods. But then there's the free church report. The reality is, especially in the United States, other countries not so well, but it's there. It's there. And I tell you that the power under the sun and under the Spirit of God, that it doesn't matter if you're in Australia or you're in England or even in China. The power of God can make you invisible to those people who want to walk in darkness. Because they can't look at the light. But the principle is is that you have to start this caring about others. You have to quiet down and listen. Better to listen, better to hear than the sacrifice of fools. Now that listening again takes us back to meditation. I encourage everybody to learn to meditate in those still moments that you get in the day. And in the evening and in the morning when you wake up, you should practice meditation. Which is just practicing a form of prayer. And hopefully, it's only the spark of life. It's not the meditation, but, but maybe you can get a glimpse of the spark of life. The, the guy's picture on the page, because I have the same picture on Ecclesiastes 6. He's staring off in a way that he's looking into his own heart and into his own mind. Let, let the light in. Because that's how Guy can write upon your heart and upon your mind. It doesn't do any good if you're not willing to see the light. You won't be able to read what he's trying to write there. <laughs> so, anyway. So, he says that, you know, his soul of all that he desireth, he, he's given. 
but a stranger eat of what he is given. That is the disease. That's what happened in Egypt. That's what's happening in the United States, Australia, England, China, and what they want to create in this new reset. The reset's going to be fairly easy since all of you have already been... You already own nothing, which we explained in Covenants of the Gods. <laughs> and, but the... I don't know if you're happy about it. A lot of people are happy about it. But uh, it's a vanity happiness. It will destroy them. So the, if a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good and all that he hath, all that he have no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he if he's filled not with good. Well, we can take a look at that word good and maybe I'll put a footnote in there so you can get a better idea of it. But this is what Paul is saying. That, that charity is the greatest gift of God. The opportunity to choose to be charitable is the greatest gift of God. But charity is a gift. But it's a gift to give. It's a gift that keeps on giving, if I may coin a phrase. But we'll have to talk about this more. But in the meantime, join us on the network. Uh Burning Bush Festival coming up in September. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.